Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to be uh, speaking to you this morning as we come to the message that I've been praying God might want to say to us through the Bible, through Scripture, and good morning online as well. Uh, it's great to be with you too. So you might want to have a Bible and some way of making notes, because uh, I'm going to do a teach this morning. I'm going to teach. There's a lot in it, and I'm praying that the Spirit will be speaking uh, to you. So let me just say a prayer, first of all, for the Spirit to be speaking to us this morning. If you're online, join in with us. Come with expectation. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you so much for already what you've done in this gathering. We thank you that you love us, that you're for us. And Father God, uh, I thank you that you sent your son for us. Jesus, we say we love you. And Holy Spirit, we ask now, would you speak to us? Lord, we're hungry to be changed, to look more like Jesus, to give more glory to the Father. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to every one of us online and in the room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our topic this morning is wild worship. Wild worship. I have been a worship leader most of my life. From the age of 16, when I first encountered the reality of God, I picked up a guitar and I just thought, I want to tell other people about this. I want to help other people meet with God like I have. And so I've been into worshipped from a young, young age. And let me tell you, I have been in some wild worship. I don't know if you have been in wild worship. Maybe you're here for the first time or you're watching for the first time and this has been wild enough already for you. But I've been in wild worship. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean tangible, manifest presence of God in our reality. Like experiential presence of God's love and his power and his presence impacting and affecting the whole human being. I've been in venues of thousands of people in worship where it's been wild. There's just been tears all across the room. I remember volunteering just to be a steward in a high-vis jacket on the door to get in the room. I just wanted to be in wild worship. I wanted to be where God was manifesting his presence in this, in this tangible, real way. I've also been, though, in small, simple, small groups of four or five of us on a dark, cold, rainy British night somewhere, no one knows where. And there's the same hushed, peace, presence of God there. I've been on one-on-one prayer or on my own and known that wild worship. And I know some of you have Two, or maybe you're here for the first time and you're intrigued by this. You're like, what does this mean? I've seen people totally transformed by the Spirit's power in wild times of worship. And I myself have experienced that. So when, when we felt I should speak today on worship, because we're recording tonight a new gastric music recording. It's going to be wild. We th- I thought, Do you know what? I want to pick a wild passage. I want to speak into this wild worship, a passage that's got the the fire of God in it, representing his power, his manifest presence. But I felt as I prayed into the scripture we're going to look at, as I prepared, I felt not to focus on the fire today, but to teach back from the fire to the heart of worship, the heart 
of worship. You see, the fire in worship has been key to my transformation, my growth, my discipleship. But I've learned in my old age not to chase the fire, but to cultivate the heart. Don't chase the fire, but cultivate the heart. Because wild worship starts from a wild heart. And so today's message is something that has grown in me all my life, and I feel it's a real word for us today. And I'm going to teach from an extraordinary passage. It's Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Some of you will know this story. Some of you will never have heard it before. It shows the excitement of the fire and the reality of God's presence in the world, and it teaches us deep truths about the heart of worship. So come with me. It's a long passage. It's a long story. We're going to read it all. So come with me. It'll be on the screen. And as I said at the start, I'm praying the Spirit will be speaking to you all through this passage. Never mind what I I say. Like, Spirit's going to be speaking to you uh, wherever you are through this passage. So come with me. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And and one line of background, the whole of Israel has turned away from worshipping Yahweh, the true God. And under King Ahab, who's worse than any other king before, they're worshipping a false god called Baal. And Elijah is the only one left who's pointing still with his worshipping heart to the true God. And so that's the scene we come to here. 1 Kings 18 verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it's well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so it's a worship contest, okay? Two altars. Prophets of Baal go first. Verse 26 now. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. This, by the way, is one of the best bits in all of Scripture. There's some toilet jokes coming here. I'm sorry, it's brilliant. It's just fantastic. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep. Perhaps he's got to be awakened, you know, like McFly. (laughs) Just for those of you who know what I'm doing here, a bit back to the future in there. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Crazy. And as midday passed, they raved on. 
until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah said to all the people, come near. Come, come near to me. And all the people came near, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes, the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sayers of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it all on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let's just give a shout of praise in this place for this story. Come on, let's praise it out. Let's praise Him on the chat. Write it out. God answers by fire, God proves Himself. He's worthy of all praise. He's incredible. Incredible God. So there's this epic worship contest. Two altars, two groups, the prophets of Baal, Elijah on his own, and the test is which God is really worthy of worship. And the one who answers by fire, he is God. Today's teaching comes in two halves. Firstly, I'm going to look at the misdirected heart of those who want to worship Baal. And then I'm going to look at Elijah's heart of worship. Firstly, the misdirected heart. Verse 26 to 29, the prophets of Baal go first. They go first. They've got the advantage. They go first. They call on Baal's name, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. We know, you know, I know. This story may seem like 4,000 years ago, but our hearts are the same. Our hearts are tempted to misdirect our praise, not to creator, but to created things. And to give them too much worth so they dominate our horizon, our vision. And we end up giving affection, attention, time, energy to the extent that they eclipse God. And that is the worship of Baal in this story. And we know it. We're not separate from it. The Bible says all of us struggle with that temptation to worship the wrong things rather than the creator, God. Whether it's fame or whether it's power. Or whether today you're seeking after security and safety. Or whether it's money or sex or material things. They can all be our Baal. So we're not miles away from these people. And the first thing this passage teaches us, it shows an incredibly strong image of what happens if we misdirect our heart's praise. No voice, no one answered, 
No response. This powerful image of the absence of a voice. There's just no reply. There's nothing there at the end of a misdirected heart's worship. Nothing there whatsoever. This summer, uh, Becky bought for the kids this toy. It's like a ceramic oyster. Bear with. (laughs) Here's an illustration. It's a ceramic oyster, and you go on this like archaeological dig. You get a little chisel, a little hammer, a little brush to find the pearl that's been encased in this. Anyone ever done? I'm not expecting many. No one. Fine. Hey, treat yourself later, yeah? Treat yourself on Amazon. So she gets this for the kids, and we start chipping away at this ceramic oyster, and bits break off, and then you break that bit down. Is the pearl here in this bit? No, it's not in that bit. So you go back to the main pearl and you keep chipping away. Is it in this bit? No. Uh, and, we, and they kept going. They kept going. Then I get called in. Um, Daddy, come and help. Come and help. And we start chipping away a bit more. There's a bit that's hard to get through and we keep going. But we are so excited. Like the pursuit of the pearl. It's so exciting. Where's it going to be? Which bit's it going to be? And what's it going to look like when we get it? Anyway, it starts getting a bit messy. Powder everywhere. So we move out to the garden in the grass. And we're chipping away, chipping away, and we're getting smaller and smaller pieces, but we're still excited. But we start readjusting our expectation. Oh, perhaps the pearl, it's, it's going to be a bit smaller than we thought, but oh well. And then, I kid you not, at one point, I was sent away to get the sieve. <laughs> and I was there in the garden, sieving these tiny pieces. Half an hour later, and finally, 45 minutes in, we all just like, Claps in a heap on the grass, like there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You can laugh if you want. It was tragic comedy. I can't tell you the disappointment. It's just like gutting. Like after all that, are you kidding me? There's nothing there. It's a fun example, but it's a brilliant example of the nothingness that comes at the end of a misdirected heart's praise. All the promise, the pursuit. The enjoyment, the cracking away at it, cracking away, adjust my expectations maybe, and then you get there, no voice, no answer, no true relationship with the living God, because you're just on your own again. That is what the Bible calls sin, misdirected heart's praise. And it's the horror of nothingness that the Bible says we either encounter in this life if we don't choose to follow God, or we'll encounter at the end of our lives, which is worse. Just that, there's nothing. Ah, oh, there's not. I'm on my own. There's nothing. I've misdirected my praise. These things that promise so much, there's nothing there. And these guys going around the altar of Baal, it's a triple nothing. I love it in, in verse um, 26, or is it 29? It says, No voice, no one answered, no one paid attention, triple nothing. And it goes on to give us another uh, image of misdirected heart's praise. It says they were limping around the altar. This word limping is the same word that's used in verse 21, the same verb. In verse 21, it's more often translated waver, wavering, wavering. How long will you go wavering between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. It's the same word for limping. Another image of misdirected hearts, praise. Many in this world look like they're dancing with all the success and riches and pursuits But Elijah the prophet calls it out. He says, you're limping. You're limping. Maybe you're feeling that today in the room. 
Maybe you're feeling that today. I, I, yeah, that's me. I've been limping. I need to turn. I need to face God again and come back to him. I don't know if this is resonating with you today. Many of us, even if we've been Christians for a while, we, we can end up limping. We can end up giving too much time and energy and affection to something that comes in and eclipses our vision of the true pursuit of our heart's worship. And we need to turn. We need to cultivate our heart. Again, it's a strong word. But it's an exciting word as well. And I'm going to come on to why now. Because now we see Elijah. It's Elijah's go. It's Elijah's altar's turn. And he, as I highlighted earlier on, he cracks some jokes. He says, well, what's going on, guys? Like, where's your God? Like, has he got his headphones on? Is he on the commute today? Is he, is he stuck in some podcasts? Like, where is he? Is he on the loo? Like, I, I thought he was real. Where is he? And as an aside, I love that. I love it because it resonates like Elijah resonates with how we are at Gas Street. Like we're serious about God. We're expectant for the fire of God. But we're not so serious about ourselves, are we? Like we're just normal people. We, just, we don't want any like, you know, pretense here. And this is just like Elijah is. Just cracking a toilet joke in the middle of a serious worship contest. This is brilliant. But it's so releasing for you to be you. You be you. Let God be him. You don't need to pretend anything. That's the power. Now it's Elijah's turn, verse 30 to 39. And this is where it gets so beautiful because we start now seeing not a misdirected heart of worship, but a directed heart of worship. There's a model for us. And he says this, he says, come here. Come here. Now, bear in mind, even that is wild worship. You've got to remember, he's one against 450, okay? On top of a mountain. Like, there's no easy escape route. If it was me, I would have done it in an open space with a fire escape, right? Ready to run off when this doesn't work. But Elijah, he draws them even closer. Hey, come here. Come here, everyone. Come here. And he starts repairing the altar of the Lord. And he picks up a stone. One, two, three, four. Five, and he picks up 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel meaning the Son of God, the one who's supposed to represent God and who God is. And he repairs this image of the altar of who God is. And as an aside, I believe there's a word of the Lord for some of you today, that in your workplaces, you are repairing the altar of the Lord. Like it might seem like you're doing figures and spreadsheets and decision making and meetings and caring for people, but you are repairing the altar of the Lord. It's encouragement for you today. And it's just one stone, two stones, three stones. And I'm sure everyone was going, 450 guys were going, what, what's he doing? But he knows what he's doing. And he's doing it out of trust and obedience to the Lord. There's the first hint of the heart of a wild worshiper. So he repairs the altar, 12 stones, then he gets the wood on it and the bull on it and it's all ready for the contest, for him to call on the name of God. You and I would have stopped there. Right, we're ready, let's call on the name of the Lord. But Elijah's heart of worship says, no, no, this isn't ready. This isn't ready. Let's pour some water on it. Let's pour, he says, what? Let's pour some water on this. This is too easy for God. 
So he pours out four jars of water to soak the altar so it's even harder or impossible to light. But then that's not enough. He says, do it again. Pour out four more jugs of water. Now do it again. Pour out four more jugs of water. Twelve jugs. Does this remind you of anything? The wedding of Cana maybe. The abundance of God. Jesus changing water into wine. Abundance. More, more, more. Or perhaps the woman who pours out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and everyone else, the 450 equivalent prophets of Baal, like, what are you doing? But she's pouring out worship to Jesus in that moment because her heart is wild for him. And Elijah's heart's the same. It's the same echo through the ages and it comes to our hearts now. Will you join this wild worship movement pouring out so that God is most glorified? And he pours out the water until it's soaked on the altar. It's impossible for God. Now, if it was me, I would have put some warming blankets over the altar to get it ready. I would have hidden a secret box of matches in the middle. I would have got a tiny mirror and positioned it so the sun would reflect in it and burn it all up. What would you have done? What's your safety nets in your worship life? And why worship life? Don't just mean singing on a Sunday light in your decision making. What are your safety nets that the Lord's saying? Hey, get rid of that. What? Get rid of that. I would have had my mate on the far side with a little lighter, just to light it up when I called on the name of the Lord. I don't want to look stupid. I want this to work because I know God's real. I want it to work and I can make it work. What's my safety nets? What's your safety nets? I know for me, and I've said this before, like my, I'm always tempted just to way overthink. I want it all lined up before we go. Before I worship, I want it all lined up. What's your safety net? Elijah so trusts in God. He's so much faith in the reality of God. He's so driven in his heart to obey God's word, not look to the right, not look to the left, that he pours out water on the altar. And then he calls on the name of the Lord and the fire of God falls. You see, we get attracted by that wild fire. But we need to trace it back and look closer at the wild heart. The wild heart, the hidden things that have been in Elijah's heart all along. Because wild worship starts in a wild heart. It doesn't wait for everything to be lined up. It doesn't wait for the instruments to be switched on and ready. Or for finances and decisions to be clear and safe and likely to work. And career changes likely to work. No, a worshipping heart is on fire before the fire starts. A worshipping heart is faith before faith is evidenced. A worshipping heart calls on the name of the Lord not to cause a response, but in response to all that God has already spoken. Let there be light. God has spoken, calling Abraham, calling Isaac. God has already spoken his covenant love. Elijah is calling out not to cause him to respond, but in response. And out of that relationship, God's fire responds and falls. A worshipping heart is never acting alone, but it's acting out of relationship with God. Trust, obedience, faith are the hallmarks of a worshipping heart. I want to write that down. Trust, obedience, and faith are the hallmarks of a worshipping heart. Now, 
This is powerful stuff, but it's still not enough for me. I'm still like, I can't get my head around this story. Like, still, why? Why would he do this? Why would he pour out all this water on it? Why would he do this? And as an analogy, I went to Netflix. Has anyone seen this film, Free Solo? Anyone? A few of us? So I highly recommend this film. This film is about this guy, this climber, Alex Honnold. And he climbs the famous El Capitan, 3,000-foot vertical rock face, without ropes. Look at the picture. It's insane. Like, literally insane. It is the closest to wildness we can grasp. He climbs without ropes. If he drops, he dies. And this film is just shocking to watch. Like, I can't tell you, it's shocking to watch. And his poor fiance has to be like driven off halfway through to be comforted or for the rest of the thing. She just can't bear it. This camera crew have to look away at times. They just can't look. It's excruciating because he's taken away any safety. He's stripped away any human safety nets out of the way. It's as wild as it gets. Why has he done this? He's done this to prove something really big. Elijah pours water on the altar. He goes to the no-rope zone to prove someone really big. He's not satisfied with the small demonstration of worship of God. He wants the biggest demonstration that could possibly be that this God is worthy of all praise. That this God is real reality and fills the space. It's incredible, the no-rope zone. A greater challenge to God to prove that he's worthy. This is the wild worship heart. And there is an opportunity for us, Gastry, to do all we can to prove something big. That God is real. That he is worthy of all worship. And we do it by knowing not to chase the fire, but to cultivate the heart. And that wild worship starts from wild hearts. And so when we come, We don't need to wait for anything to get lined up. We don't need to put a box of matches under the wood. We cry out not to cause God to do something, but in response to what he's already done. And when we feel broken and soggy alters ourselves, you know that feeling when the rain drips down your neck and it's just rubbish? That feeling. We look to the soggiest of altars. It's probably never been described as this. The cross. We look to the cross where all seemed soaking wet. God himself now, not a bull, but Jesus, the Son of God, gets on the altar and gets nailed there, which is the equivalent of the water. Totally impossible. The no-rope zone and he is going to die. And all seems lost. Three days later, the fire falls. The fire falls. Resurrection day. Resurrection day. Come on, let's give it up for him. Not for me, for him. God, you're so faithful. God, you resurrected your son when all seemed lost. 
And so our hearts have to be wild for him on a Sunday and on an everyday. And we're rebuilding altars of the Lord, not with sticks and stones, but with our lives. Romans 12, we're a living sacrifice. Take your everyday life and lay it before him. But the, the challenge and the invitation today is, where do you need to pour the water on it? Where have you stepped forward too much yourself in your own strength? And I've been so challenged for this. And you need to step back and pour the water. Pour the water on it. And say, God, I'm in the no rope zone now. I'm in the no rope zone now. It could only be you. It could only be you. That's what we need to do, church. And it's an exciting, wild place to go. The soaking wet altar where wild worship has started from a wild heart. And the cry of our hearts is the cry of Elijah's. Let it be known that our God, he saves. He saves and he's faithful. And as I end, I believe there's a word as well here for some of you who in your workplaces, in your decisions, you already feel soaking wet in a bad way like that dripping rain down your neck like and no one's noticed it's not public it's not wild worship public but the Lord says to you today I see your wild worship I see the decisions you've made to pursue my values not the world's I see the paths you've chosen to take and you're a wild worshiper for me you've got a wild heart for me it's an encouragement to you today. For others of us, the challenge, as I've said, is where can we pour water on our own strengths and abilities to let God be most glorified through us? And as a church, what can he not do? What can he not do? Let's stand in the room. If you're online, uh, let's um, respond. And let's just pray here in this place. Father God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that demonstrates Elijah's wild heart for you. And Lord, we, we say collectively, we want wild hearts of worship for you. And Lord, we say less of me, more of you. Less of me and more of you and just have a moment now just to think where is it maybe you need to let go of something that maybe you've been striving too hard in your own strength it's like God I've tried to light it now it's over to you or maybe for you it's that encouragement that you already are doing while worship even if it's hidden just have a moment of reflection Holy Spirit, more of you in this place. More of you. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church. <laughs>